And what we're going to talk about today is, is laying down what we feel is our right to be offended and offended so easily. Recently, during the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, uh, we and a number of other people took the position that we were going to fight to try and keep the Eighth Amendment. And a number of us, we went out door, from, door to door around the town here and, and in some of the villages around as well, knocking on doors, asking people, would they consider retaining the Eighth Amendment and voting no against the introduction of abortion into Ireland. Now, I thought when I signed up for this that this was going to be something that was going to be a little bit of fun, as well as, you know, taking up a serious issue and fighting on that, on, on that side of that issue. I learned very quickly how easily and quickly people got offended by people who held a different view than the majority did about the introduction of abortion in Ireland. I mean, we were abused on the doorstep. We were abused. And the first time we got abused, it was in one of the villages around here on the doorstep. I was shocked. I was kind of like, really? I mean, okay, we didn't come forcefully to the doorstep and demand that people change their mind or demand that people should vote to retain the Eighth Amendment. We just brought the facts to them. We had leaflets and we were willing to talk. And we came to one door and, and we, we handed a leaflet to a person and, and we got a few doors down when another person in the house came running down the street after us telling us basically where we should shove our literature and what we should do with our beliefs on the Eighth Amendment. Other people got abused. Other people got physically challenged on the doorstep. People were offended on the doorstep because we were wanting to retain the Eighth Amendment. I remember I went to one door and, and this woman came out and she was offended at me because I was a man. How dare I ask her, a woman who can bear a child, to vote for against the legislation for abortion. She was offended at me because of my maleness. <laughs> I mean, come on, like, how can you get offended at me? <laughs> Praise God. People were verbally abused. People were threatened with physical abuse. All because they held a different opinion than the majority. Even when it comes to preaching the Word of God. Our plan here and, and our mantra, if you want, here in church has always been to preach the fullness of the gospel. Not to leave anything out. But whereas in preaching the fullness of the gospel, we do everything that we can to try and uh, um, avoid causing offense but at the end of the day, we're very well aware that the preaching of the gospel does cause offense. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's nothing we can do about that. Amen. The truth will cause offense. But we don't go out deliberately to cause offense. Yeah. Amen? There's a difference. Yeah. And you should never go out deliberately to cause offense. Amen? Amen? But at the same time, don't shy away from preaching the truth of the Word of God. Amen. And we know when we do that, a lot of people set traps in our way. Right. Amen? There's no person can talk about the truth of the Word of God now before they're asked about the gay question. Why do they ask him about the gay question nearly straight away when someone starts to talk about the Word of God? Because they want you to cause offense. Yeah. So that then they can turn on you and turn on the truth that you're trying to preach. So a lot of ministers have tried to skirt the whole issue of homosexuality and its place within a, within a Christian church. But in doing so, then they've offended the zealot Christians who want to go out there and tell everyone that they're going to hell unless they're like them. So you're kind of caught either way. 
if you take an opinion, you know what? I don't want to offend homosexuals. I want to be able to preach the Word of God to them. I want to be able to tell them that Jesus loves them regardless of their, their belief and their sexuality. I'm not going to straight away come out there and tell them that God hates you because you're gay. That's not true. God doesn't. But if I don't do that, other Christians and other ministers will get offended at me because I don't come out straight away and tell them that God hates homosexuals, which he don't, just in case you're wondering. God doesn't hate homosexuals. Amen. He doesn't. God doesn't hate any person. If he did, he wouldn't have sent his son Jesus to die for him. Amen. Regardless of their sexuality. But we cause offense. Even when we talk about the truth of the word of God, we cause offense. 1 Peter 2 says in verse 7, it says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. The word of God to those who don't believe is an offense. It's a stumbling stone. And we have our job as a church. Our job is to go out there and preach the truth of the word of God regardless. But our job is also not to say, I'm going to go and offend as many people as I can today. No. Did Jesus do that? No, he didn't. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery and, and the religious people wanted to stone her and their law gave them every right to do so, what did Jesus do? He forgave her. He forgave her. And did that cause offense to the religious people? Absolutely. It caused offense. The Word of God is a stumbling stone. It is a rock of offense. But our ministering thereof, the Word of God, should not be in an offensive manner. We should do everything that we can in order to not to, to deliberately offend people. The Word is going to offend them anyway. Let's not us bring further offense to that. Amen? I love what Paul says. Paul says, uh, when he's trying to evangelize, Paul says, to the Greek, I'm a Greek. To the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. He says, I'm all things to all men so that I may win some. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, you know, to the Greek, I'm not going to go into the Greek and tell them everything that they need to do to shape up their lives in order for them to become like me. <laughs> to the Gentile, I'm not going to tell the Gentile all the things that you need to do in order for me to accept you and God to accept you. He's saying to them, I'm going to be like them. I'm going to accept them the way that they are. Not that they don't have things that they need to change, but I'm not going to go in there and start running the rule over everything in their lives. I'm going to first teach and preach the Word of God. All things to all men, so that it may open a door for me, so that I may, might win them. Amen? Hey, listen, if you go to a sinner, amen, that's not saved, and you say, hey, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You're not telling them anything they don't know. You know what, but you know what you are doing? You're closing the door for any further opportunity you have to minister to that person. Amen. And we're not door closers, amen. We're door openers. Amen. And we see if there's any gap in that door at all that we may minister to people, we're putting our foot in it. Yeah, amen. amen. And we're going to work that gap. Amen. We're going to work that gap another bit open. And we're going to work it another bit open by not trying to offend them. By not running in there straight away and say, God hates you. God hates the sinner. You're not telling them anything they don't need to know. We need to tell them that God loves them. Amen. amen. Despite where they are. 
despite all the things that they have done. I thank God that God loved me enough before I knew him that he sent his son Jesus to die for me. So that when I came to him, God wasn't, wasn't before I came to him, God didn't say, before you can come past this threshold from unsaved to saved, you've got to fulfill all these different things first. I thank God that God said, hey, listen, no matter where you are, like the prodigal son, and when he came back to the father, the father didn't say, right there now, before you cross over my threshold, I want you to repent of all your sins before I can accept you again. He didn't. He put a ring on his finger and a cloak on his shoulders and sandals on his feet, even in the stinkingness of all of his sins, faults and failings. Amen? And that's our job. Amen? Praise God. Let's get back to talking about offense. There's times, too, when we get offended. There's times when you get offended. There's times when I get offended. I get offended at the simplest, silliest little things. You know that? When I hold a door open for someone, if I'm out someplace, and I hold a door open for someone, and they walk through that door and don't acknowledge the thing that I just did for them and walk through the door like I wasn't there or I was paid to open the door for them, that offends me. I get, I'm, I'm the first to admit I get offended easily. If I let you out in traffic and you take that position to let you out in traffic, and you don't acknowledge me by either holding up your hand, sticking your hand out the window, putting your hazard lights on, or doing something to acknowledge that i just done that, I'm looking to take your number plate. And I'm going to put your number plate on a, on a sticky post-it in the front of my car and say, Nissan Micra, registration number uh, 171WX48, never let this person out in traffic again. I get offended. Amen. I'm like the equalizer. I'm ready to take vengeance. Don't offend me. Praise God. I get offended. I get annoyed. We all do. I get offended sometimes when I put a, a, a picture up on Facebook or Instagram and people don't like it. That sometimes offends me. I'm thinking like, hey, listen, you saw it. Put a like on it. I get offended when I text someone and they don't text me back in 10 seconds. That offends me. Like, I mean, I, I know you saw it. I, you saw it. I mean, I see you saw it. And you didn't text me back. You were live, aren't you? You're breathing, aren't you? Nobody is that busy that they can't text you back. <laughs> that offends me sometimes. Praise God. I'm a human being too, amen? It's amazing how easily some Christians get offended. I mean, people in the world don't get offended sometimes as quick as Christians do. I worked with people for 25 years. I can hardly remember an incident of offense that people may have gotten, either by me or by anybody else. We all got on. But sometimes we get offended so easily, especially in the church. Why do some Christians get so easily offended? We get offended when someone sits in my seat. I mean, I've sat there for the last two years. Do they not know it? Why is he sitting in my seat? That's my seat. We get offended when we use the wrong Bible translation. Oh, yeah. If you don't use the New King James or the King James Version, I mean, you're an outcast. I mean, one time, one time, well, I've done it a few times, but one time I was teaching and I used a passage out of the Message Bible. And the only reason I used it in the Message Bible is because the Message Bible brought great flavor to this passage I was trying to to bring and I did and it went across well and after church uh, some someone came up to me after church and they pointed a finger in my face and said never use the message bible again 
they were offended because I used the message. Other people get offended at tithes and offerings. They, they, uh, we had another incident a number of years ago where this person came to us and said, you need to stop teaching on tithes and offerings. You need to stop taking up tithes and offerings. God will provide. They got offended. Why? Because they didn't want to give. They didn't want to be convicted every week of having to give in, in tithes and offerings. They got offended by the Word of God themselves. Amen? We so easily get offended. And other people, other Christians, they get offended at us because you go to that church. This one. They get offended at you because you go to this church. Because this, that's a charismatic church down there. They do all these weird things. They're a Pentecostal church. They believe in prosperity. They're all about the money. And people get offended at us as a church because that's what they believe about us. It's not true, just in case you're wondering. They get offended at me because I'm young and good looking. I wear nice shirts and I don't wear ties and sometimes I wear a pair of jeans with a hole in them. They get offended me at, at me because of that. How can he be a Christian? How can he be a pastor? They get offended. Why do we so easily get offended? You know why? It's because we're living out of our insecure egos and we always want to be right and we always want to win. And if we're always to be right, somebody else has to be wrong. And if we're always to be right, somebody else has to lose for always to win. Our egos are so easily offended. And some of us actually look to be offended. We're going around looking to be offended in anything and everything. I'm offended because you got a nicer home than me. I'm offended because you've got a nicer car than me. I'm offended because you got a nicer wife or a husband than me. We're, we've, we can get so easily offended by the simplest of things. But what we got to do is we got to learn as believers to overlook offense. We got to learn to overlook offense. Amen. Yeah. We get offended sometimes when somebody starts a business. And they succeed in that business. And they start to make plenty of money in that business. And we get offended by them. Yeah. Because they're successful. Yeah. We get offended sometimes by people that we've known growing up. That come from dysfunctional families. From, from broken families. And, and everyone in their family never done anything. And we get offended because one person in that family decides, I'm going to break the mold. I'm going to get an education. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to better myself. I'm going, and we get offended by them because we expect them to stay the way the rest of their family stays. We get offended so easily. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Isn't it so true that we are so slow, including me, to overlook an offense. I know some people, and I know every one of you do too, who have been offended by a person for the last 20 years. I know people that have been offended by other people for 20 years. And you know what? That offense has not added wanting to their life. It's only stolen from them. 
We hold offense so tightly sometimes that it almost becomes a part of who we are. We live in a world that's quick to judge, quick to point out other people's faults, quick to be offended, but so slow to overlook offense. But here's the thing. To overlook something is not like to pretend it never happened. But to overlook something is a form of forgiveness. Amen? The word overlook in Hebrew literally means to pass over an offense. We need to learn to pass over people's offenses. So many people are being held back from doing what God created them to do because they're unable to pass over an offense that happened them years ago. So many people are still living in the past, living with past hurts, living with past offenses, allowing the offender to have control still in their life in 2019 for something that happened 30 years ago. That person still controls their life because we are unwilling to overlook the offense. And when we don't overlook the offense, we're empowering that other person still to control our lives today for something that may have happened when we were a child or a teenager. We have to learn to pass over the offense, knowing that holding on to the offense only serves to restrict and damage our future. Romans chapter 12 says, Paul speaking, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, through the grace given to me, Paul said, didn't Paul receive some grace? You see, you know Paul. Paul was the guy who was originally Saul, who when the way the early church started, Paul st started out on a, on a life's mission to destroy the way, to destroy the early church. Paul was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He gave consent to, to Stephen stoning. Paul was there. Paul was the one who, who consented to, to, to murder. He consented to people's arrests. I mean, on, on the day that he met Jesus, he was heading to Damascus to arrest more people. More people who followed the way. Paul had a lot to receive grace from God for. But not just grace from God, grace from other people. Because he had hurt the very people now that he considered himself a part of. Yeah. Amen? Paul had set out to destroy the church, the very church, now that was showing Paul grace. Grace from God, grace from other people that was trying to destroy that he was trying to destroy. He says in verse 3 again, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. So by grace, God has given to me this measure of faith so that I can overlook another's offense. And that when I cause offense, another can overlook that offense with me. I want to give you three very quick points of application this morning. And the first one is because of Jesus' grace to me, I give others the benefit of the doubt. When was the last time you gave someone the benefit of the doubt? Because I've been forgiven so much, I am going to give others the benefit of the doubt when they offend me. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2 says there, it says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Because of Jesus' grace to forgive me of my sins, 
I need to show that same grace to forgive others of their sins against me and show them this benefit of the doubt. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we don't give this benefit of the doubt? Isn't it amazing that we're so quick sometimes to point the finger of accusation and blame? Isn't it amazing how we judge others by their actions, but we want others to judge us by our intentions? Isn't that amazing? We expect others to see our intentions, to recognize that our intentions were pure, but when the shoe is on the other foot with us, we judge others purely by their actions. It's like when you're in a queue in the bank, and it's five to four, the bank is closing. Now, you're in the queue, but you're in a, in a situation in the queue. Someone passes you out to get in front of you in the queue. Now, you're standing there in the queue, and you're offended. You're thinking, you know, are you better than me that you think that you can walk in and walk in in front of me in the queue? And you get offended by him. But now, a few days later, you're in the same situation. You're in the bank again, five to four. Now, this time, you've parked on the double yellow in front of the bank. This time, you're trying to get a payment into the bank that you know it's a mortgage payment or it's a compassion payment or some payment that you know you need to get in there because it's five to four on a Friday. And if you don't get it in, the mortgage is not going to be paid or your direct debit or whatever. So you're in a, you, you need to do this and, and you're running late. Circumstances that day has caused you to run late. So you have to park outside of the bank on a double yellow line. And as you do that, you see the warden is on his way up the street. Now you know... I have five minutes before he gets here. And you go into the bank and you see this big long queue and you think, hey, listen, I'm not getting a ticket. I'm not getting a 70 or 80 or fine, whatever it is. I'm not getting a ticket. So you sneak in in front of people in the queue. And what you're doing there is you're thinking, I have a valid reason. I'm not going to get a ticket. I need to pay my compassion payment this month. I need There's a child in Africa or somewhere in the world, depending on my payment, this month, to help them out in compassion. So I have a valid reason. So we think that people should give us the benefit of the doubt. Whereas when the shoe was on the other foot with us a few days later, or earlier, we didn't give the other person the benefit of the doubt. See, we need to stop thinking that everyone's actions are somehow against us. We need to stop thinking that the person who you let out in the traffic that didn't wave at you didn't do that deliberately because it was you. We need to stop thinking, or I need to stop thinking, when I hold a door open for someone and they walk through and don't acknowledge me, they may have other things going on in their minds. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. And I need to give them the benefit of the doubt, not wish I tripped them as they walk through the door. <laughs> we need to develop this a thick skin and a soft heart. Amen. A thick skin and a soft heart. The second thing that we need to do is because of the grace given to me, I will stop putting labels on other people. Isn't it amazing how we put labels on people? I mean, we're great at it. We're amazing at putting labels on other people. Usually due to some negative attribute that they may have. Like Billy the liar. Billy's called a liar because Billy, he's called Billy the liar because he's a liar and he tells lies all the time. We had a couple of guys in work, f funny stories, two different names. One guy was called Slasher Gall. We called him Slasher Gall because every time he went to cut meat, he cut himself. Every time. And there was one time in work, he had a plaster on every finger. 
because he cut himself so often. So we called him, as good as we were, Slasher Gall. That was his name. We had another guy in work. We called him Willie the Shoe. We called him Willie the Shoe because one day he came into work with two different shoes on his feet. So he got a name after that, Willie the Shoe. And he's still known as Willie the Shoe to this day. We are fantastic at putting names on people, putting labels on people based on negative attributes in their lives. Amen. Amen. We're not as quick to put positive names on people. But we're very quick at putting negative names on people. We need to stop putting labels on other people. What if God was to do that with us? What if God was to isolate our life and name Good for us. Praise God. What if at some stage in our life we were thieves and liars and we were promiscuous? And what if God was at, because of that one stage in our life when I stole a penny sweet, what if God was to name me because of that? What if God now called me end of the thief because he stole a penny sweet? What if God was to do that to us? What's the sort of names that God will put on our lives? Amen. Thank God God doesn't do that. Amen? Right, amen? Glory to God. God's forgiveness and grace towards us to give us another chance and give us another chance after that. And even after that, God gives us another chance. So when we deal with other people, we should be the same. Amen? Yeah, amen. We should extend forgiveness to other people. We should extend the benefit of doubt to other people. We shouldn't start labeling people because of their past mistakes or past faults. He's a thief. She's a gossip. He's a liar. She's arrogant. Willie the shoe because he wore two different shoes. Slasher gall because he used to cut himself all the time. Luke chapter 6 and verse 36 says, Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Because of the grace that Jesus has given to me, I will not put labels on other people. And finally, because of the grace given to me, I will forgive others as I have been forgiven. Yeah. Colossians 3 in verse 13 says, in the New Living Translation, talk to me afterwards if you don't like it. It says in verse 13, it says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Amen. Amen. Remember that the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive others. Amen. I think we all know where we're going with this, don't we? If someone doesn't say thank you when you let him out in traffic, if someone doesn't say thank you when you hold the door open for him, forgive him. Amen. Somebody calls you a name or tries to label you or cheat you or do something wrong to you, you got to forgive them as well, yes? Amen. Yeah. yeah, amen. But what if the offense is bigger? What if the offense was a major offense? What do we do with them? We've got to forgive them as well. We've got to release them as well. Because we've got to recognize that the forgiving of them is not for them per se. The forgiving and the releasing of them is for you. Yeah. Amen. So that you can walk in the fullness of everything that God has for you. We are to, verse 13 again, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone 
who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Church, forgiveness is as much about you, if not more about you, than it is about releasing the offender. Our advancement as believers into everything that God has for us is linked to our ability not to take offense. Amen? And to release those who've hurt you, stealed you, abused you, offended you. We need to develop a soft heart and a thick skin. Ephesians 4, 32, in finishing, it says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Amen?